Welcome to the Back of the House podcast. My name is Luke Butler, and today I am joined by Anthony Sullivan, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Quantico. Quantico is a business that has been servicing the hospitality industry for a long time now, previously um, known as PKF, which many people may be aware of. But they recently released a report which details uh, some of the insights from, you know, I guess the 800-odd venues that they service within the hospitality sector, things relating to wages, top-line revenue performance, and what they're seeing in terms of, of growth or trends emerging from the market. So Anthony's going to give us a fair bit of information on that and also talk about some of the other parts of their businesses that uh, you know, are quite topical at the moment. Uh, insurance uh, is one, um, restructuring, even sourcing of debt. So Anthony's insight garnered from the huge range of businesses that they deal with, uh, we thought would be really valuable for our listeners. It's always good to stay across the trends that are emerging because uh, we're not always obviously privy to that information. So without further ado, please welcome Anthony Sullivan, CEO of Quantico. So, Anthony, thank you for joining uh, me on the Back of House podcast. Uh, how is everything going in your world? Thank you, Luke, and thank you for having me. Uh, everything is going very well, thank you. We're busy doing uh, what we do in the hospitality space, which is uh, all moving along at breakneck speed at the moment. <laughs> nice. This is a bit of a different podcast, I guess, for, for Back of House, just in terms of, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're going to talk about I guess a lot of data and a bit of insight from from you and your business and and what you're seeing out there on the back of your F23 um, report, um, which I think you know obviously operators who who don't always have access to this kind of you know raw data and raw insight as to what's happening across the broader um, sector, I'm sure will take a lot of value from. But I guess before we jump into that, can you give us a bit of a, con- a bit of context or overview um, as to Quantico? You know, even back to the history of the company, and, and maybe even a bit of insight as yourself into yourself as to how you found yourself into this um, into this world. Just so you know, listeners fully comprehend what it is that you do, and and, and I guess your perspective and where this information is coming from. Yeah, sure. So I was a partner at PKF, which is a mid-tier global uh, accounting firm for eighteen years. About a decade ago, I started to hone my focus on clients in the, in the hospitality space, um, largely because I could see the opportunity uh, to uh, hone the advisory work that we were doing if, if, if it had a particular focus on an industry. So then that led to wanting to get more information uh, more quickly uh, so we could provide you know better advice uh, to that set of clients, um, which then led to building a, a financial reporting platform, which uh, gathered data in a uniform financial reporting data in, in, in a uniform manner. Um, and then from there, the platform has evolved. So we now have a, a mix of third-party licensed software and our own proprietary software, which delivers uh, financial reporting and data analytics back to publicans. Um, and then off the back of that data, we've been able to build uh, various different service lines. So we have our advisory business, um, which you know provides a lot of operational support through you know through our data analytics, uh, but also you you know you you more traditional advisory services such as succession planning, tax advice, and so on and so forth. And then we have uh, a debt advi- capital advisory business, which um, you know helps our clients with finding the most advantageous and 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 uh, efficient debt solutions for their business. 
And then we have an insurance business as well, um, which provides wholesale insurance solutions and also uh, insurance broking services. And then we have uh, we have a significant interest in our um, in, in a valuations business as well. So that's sort of overlaid. So very much we are a data-driven business. We identify problems that we can solve through um, the data that we see within the industry. Uh, and then we enable a service line and or a solution by um, applying technology and, uh, you know, delivering that solution in a very sufficient, uh, uh, efficient and scalable way. Might just dig into that a, l- a little bit because I, I will get to the report, but I just think so businesses fully comprehend how they could interact with you. I know a lot of our clients work with you and take great benefit from, I guess, the platform and, and, and your services and how, how, I guess, the information that they offer. But on a day-to-day, if I'm if I own a pub and I'm working with you, what kind of interaction or, or insight and, and then benefit can I get from, I don't want this to sound like an infomercial because it's definitely not, but like how, how would I interact with your business uh, or the service that you provide on a day-to-day basis to get insights to run my business better? Yep. So we're all about problem solving. So if you come to us and you're, you're a publican, uh, we, we would show you uh, how our financial uh, reporting platform works. So that is, uh, you know, as I said, a suite of technology that uh, provides you with financial data right from your accounts payable, your payroll, through to your forecasting of, of wages, through to um, recording your um, and comparing your sales every 15 minutes to your wage costs every 15 minutes, through to benchmarking, through to um, automation of the cash-up process, um, through to automatically calculating your rebates, um, so, you know, they're accurately recorded and measured, through then to, you know, a weekly financial reporting uh, solution through to a then a, a monthly financial reporting solution. So your monthly PLs, PLs, balance sheets, cash flows, variance reports in terms of uh, to budget year on year, so on and so forth, um, through to you know your annual reporting as well. So it really is a holistic um, solution to your financial reporting that um, is then delivering information that is either used by your operator. Um, you, you know your your, your licensees um, through to your owners, depending on you know how. And what they need at any point in at any point in time, and then also allows us to work with our clients to help them interpret that and get them the best um, outcomes. So, an example may be, um, you know, we have uh, a product on our platform called Salesline, which we built, and that that came about because we could see um, that what was happening across the vast majority of our uh, clients was managers were going in there and if it was say Thursday they would go and look at the previous Thursday's roster and they'd cut and paste that into into this Thursday and then their timesheets would follow their their roster exactly as opposed to their timesheets adjusting up and down um, depending on the sales outcome so what salesline does is goes goes in and analyzes sales for each Thursday or however you want to set it to analyze it, you know, any period you want it to analyze. And um, it, you know, we're, we're now using AI to um, ensure that it's properly considered, you know, events, weather, so on and so forth. And then it will spit out a, a 15 minute incremental forecast, sales forecast for the day that then pushes back into the time and attendance and rostering system and allows the manager to build a roster based on a sales outcome as opposed to a previous period um, roster, prior period roster. And then through our mobile app, you can then track your actual sales to that forecasted sales every 15 minutes 
and you can adjust your um, timesheets throughout the day based on your actual sales outcome. So then we obviously record all that data and then we go back and critically analyse it, um, you know, regularly with our clients to say, well, look what happened on, you know, last week. You know, your sales started to come off, but it took you, you know, uh, half an hour before you started bringing off, off staff and, you know, this is how much money it costs you. So you can really start to break down your day um, and save costs, you know, uh, in, in real time. Um, and we all know labor is probably well, is the biggest variable cost in the business. So it's, it's an obvious one to, to attack. So, you know, that's that's one example of, of how intricate our data analytics gets um, to help clients save money. So, you know, we've got cases where clients are saving tens and tens of thousands of dollars now on their wage costs just because they're managing their, their staff base better. Yeah, but I, um, I kind of can... Uh... I mean, I remember I was at Keystone for a long time, and we and we used to do this um, in a very rudimentary fashion. I, I thought we were quite good at it, but you know, if we had this kind of solution back then, particularly, I, I love the, um, the functionality about being able to build in weather and events and times of year, and pre, you know, it's um, it's just awesome. But yeah, I mean, that is the beauty of AI now, and 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 but the more time goes on, the the smarter it will get, and um, you know, the more accurate it will get, so the better it gets. Mate, let's jump into the report. So you've released this uh, fairly recently, right? Can you talk us through, I guess, perhaps the, I guess the, the data that was used to create it and, and maybe the, um, the intent behind the report or you know, just why you actually decided to release this? Yeah, so we, we do this report quarterly. Um, so the one that we're talking to today is, is analysing the full year of 23. Um, and as I said, we're very much a data-led business, so we see a lot of value in in going back and, and analysing the quarter and looking to see what has happened across the various different KPIs that we focus for the purpose of informing the industry, but also, you know, informing our clients and helping them hone their focus on on what they're going to do uh, in, the, in the current period. So we've got about 800 venues across our suite of um, service lines. So we've got a, a very nice set of data that we can use to um, to analyse. We, uh, you know, we've got a whole whole host of different stakeholders that now are using this report. It's been very well received uh, right across the industry, not just by the venues, but you know, by other um, other people that uh, are interested in hospitality, which is many. Yeah, so that that was sort of the driving motivation for it, and um, something something that we're going to continue to do. And the methodology used to. So the methodology used was we uh, used a, a median as opposed to an average. Um, so a median really just smooths out the data. If you're using averages, then you um, you know you can the data can be significantly influenced by you know any particular outlier. So it's a median of of um, sales, wages, etc., and it's just year on year comparisons. Uh, we have normalised the data for COVID. Um, twenty twenty two was still COVID affected, <clears throat> so it's been a really interesting process actually. Because I mean, twenty three is really the first full year that we've had, which you know hasn't. Uh, had any direct COVID impact. It's certainly, I, I still think that, you know, there's 
symptoms of of you know of COVID um, that are affecting the numbers. You know, we, we definitely saw some pent up demand that that happened in in you know when when the uh, venues sort of started to get back to normal trade towards the end of twenty two, um, and things are really starting to smooth out now. Um, and you're getting, you know, some some more or trade that you can probably rely on in terms of the the underlying data anyway. So when you're talking about maybe comparing it to non-COVID numbers, so the numbers are, I guess, adjusted in in a sense. It's been normalised out. So we we have looked at that it does not have of trade during the you know COVID affected periods, even if even if it was uh, trade restrictions and there still was trade, we, we've taken that out completely. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, then we might as well jump into, I guess, what the report says just from the operational trends perspective. So in terms of, uh, mate, let's start with, with sales, I guess. What, 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 what can you take from the data that you think would be really valuable or just, you know, stuck out as being a, a, a key, key piece of information that, um, either you thought, thought was abnormal or interesting? Sales were up overall 8% year on year, which was interesting. I think, you know, probably the things that stand out is how, how volatile they were. They were really up and down quite a bit um, throughout the year. You know, I, I put that down to the consumer really just sort of still being a bit, uh, I guess, uh, nervous um, about how they re-engage with venues that are obviously you know that were obviously seriously affected when when COVID happened so but look overall the um, sales are up uh eight percent i thought what was interesting is that wage costs was consistent uh right across the uh um the comparative periods which i was i was expecting that to to come down um largely because it was so difficult to get staff you know and people were just operating and, and still are to an extent it's freed up a bit but people were operating on such a, a skeleton staff structure because they they just couldn't couldn't find people but um that was consistent across the year so if you sort of break those sales down food was up 14 percent beverage up seven and gaming up nine percent so um it was pretty strong it was pretty strong uh i think you know that that started to plateau a bit now which is um which is certainly evident in, in you know in in the current period. So it'll be interesting to see when the September report comes out. And you across the eight hundred venues, are you able to put them into different classes uh, in terms of like a pub versus a restaurant? And are you able to discern any specific trends relevant to each of those classes, or is it more just a one data set and that's where you're pulling it from? Yeah, look, the, the report's very skewed to pubs. Um, there is some restaurant data in there, but they you know the, the the restaurant data that's in there that. You know, it, it's relevant in the you know their similar style operations to what you would have in a in a pub. So, but look, the vast majority of our venues are are pubs. Yeah. Okay. And within those, uh, when you say sales are up eight percent, and we're looking at food being up say fourteen and beverage being up seven, can you get granular in terms of say on beverage where that seven percent is coming from? Is it more sort of bulk beer related? Is it people? premiumizing um in terms of buying higher end like can you break down the sales mix or is it more just beverage as an item it's beverage as an item we we can do that uh, we haven't for the purposes of this report so but look it's uh yeah we've just looked at beverage in 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 total you know across all categories and gaming what can you glean from the data that you have there so gaming is up nine percent it's got to be considered really off the back of the very strong gaming um results in you know the post-covid environment 
you know, it's it's it, it has been pretty volatile across the um, across the year. You know, with a, there was a thirty three percent variance within the year from the lowest to the highest point. So that's 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 a lot. So I think you know, uh, gaming sort of well, it, it has come off uh, significantly. Um, which is uh, evident in the in the June quarter as well. You can see that from from the data, but certainly in the current uh, period, you know that that's been maintained. The the New South Wales uh, elections definitely had a had an impact on on um, you know the, the the turnover. Um, you know, a lot would think that that was you know purely uh, affecting the the pub, pubs themselves, but you, I, I, it's just. It's too. It's an obvious standout, I suppose. Um, so I think you know it's had, it has had an impact on the actual turnover itself. So yeah, look, whilst gaming has plateaued, it's plateaued at a at a, at a fantastic level. It's 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 still um, you know producing really strong revenues. You know, as I mentioned, it, it was coming off the back of the you know a, a peak um, mm. post COVID. So that's a good result. If you follow all of the, uh, I guess, data down to contribution to EBITDA, are there any sort of trends that you can discern there or or just insight you can add? Yeah, look, so EBITDA was uh, up 1%, I think, and which was surprising. Sorry, was it up 1% or consistent? It was, wasn't a lot because, you know, with the increase in sales, you know, you would have hoped to see more of that. Uh, fall through, through to the bottom line, and I just think it's reflective of the the increased cost environment that we've got. Um, you know, so while sales are, have increased, so so of the expenses, and uh, you know that's why we've only seen a one percent increase in EBITDA year on year. So just to be clear, that's a one percent increase of the EBITDA percentage. So when EBITDA is compared to sales. And you mentioned similar trends with wages as a percent, you know, no real sort of change there. H- how do you think that relates to the changes to the award, given there was a pretty significant change to, um, you know, base rates, casual workforce it had a fairly significant increase that people had to wear. And some businesses actually wore them quite early, which uh, was an active decision a- around retention. Um, what are you seeing in terms of wages um, more broadly? They're definitely seeing the impact of that now. Um, we were surprised by that. Uh, as I said, I think it was offset by the, the the lack of staff and just people having to run on the, the absolute bare bones of what they could get. I would have had a hundred conversations about how difficult <laughs> staff uh, still still is. Yeah, it still is. Yeah, that's right. You would have been very busy. So, but having, having said that, you know, with the increase in the award, the uh, the costs are definitely going up without question. Yeah, right. I mean, you'd have probably better insight than most given the vast number of clients that you work with, not just to what you're seeing in data, but I think sentiment is a really big part of, you know, it's obviously a huge driver in the industry, not even from a consumer perspective, but just the way that businesses operate. You know, when you're feeling up and about and confident about how things are going to be, you, you just behave differently. What's your feeling for, for, for the market at the moment in terms of conversations that you're having with operators? How, I guess, positively they're looking toward the future um is it more conservative is it feeling quite negative from my perspective it feels like that shift that has shifted significantly since the beginning of this calendar year you know we even if i look at our business you know we we had a great 2022 
two calendar year and then from pretty much Jan 1, it felt like a lot of, um, you know, the air that was let out of the balloon and it took probably six months, you know, the end of the financial year was when things sort of really got back to what we would consider to be a normal trading environment. Now, I've only been in recruitment for seven years, so I only had a couple of years pre-COVID to know what it was like. It feels like it did before COVID completely. Fairly long-winded question there, but in terms of the, I guess, the way businesses are feeling or acting just from a more, I don't know, subjective perspective in the conversations that you're having. I mean, look, the, the interest rate environment has, without question, had a significant impact on people's confidence, uh, particularly in Publand. Uh, most, uh, certainly, uh, freehold owners have, often have a, a reasonable amount of debt um, so as interest rates have, have gone up, I think there's been 12 consecutive rate rises, um, you know, and uh, RBA rates now 4.1%. Um, so, you know, that's from a, a base of next to nothing. So it's been a, a, a huge impact on uh, not only the cost line, but also on, on valuation uh, cap rates as well. You know, that's really starting to flow through now. So, you know, you went from an environment where there was a, a lot of activity around buying and selling pubs to what we see as the, as the lowest level of activity since about 2005. Yeah, right. That's just an indication of how uh, people sort of said, all right, well, let's just sit back and see what happens, happen, what is going to happen, rather. Um, I think coupled with that, you know, you had all the, the talk of, um, gaming legislation, um, in fact, not just talk, but changes to the proposed changes to the legislation, some of which have already started to come in. And th that period of the lead up to the election really put a dent in people's confidence and I guess slowed down people's willingness to, to invest, um, in the business, in their businesses. So look, I, I do think that's starting to shift. We're certainly seeing a lot more activity in the market. Um, trade has continued, um, you know, to, to be relatively strong, albeit it has plateaued out. You know, it's still it's still pretty good. I think that's bringing some confidence back in the market, but nowhere near what it used to be. I mean, the, the big fear is, um, you know, if, if you have EBITDAs significantly decline through, you know, reduced consumer demand, and you have at the same time cap rates going up uh, because of rising interest rates, you know, you're going to get the double whammy in, in terms of, of, of valuation, which, you know, then in turn puts uh, businesses under pressure with real, uh, regards to their debt financing and things like that. So that, uh, that hasn't happened to the extent that it may have otherwise. And so I think people are starting to get a bit more confident in you're certainly seeing that with uh, the likes of what's happened with AVC and the investments made there. So, yeah, look, whilst I don't think, you know, by any means anyone's going, uh, this is the strongest trading that we've seen or the strongest environment to be, you know, taking huge risks, I, it, it seems to be um, a softer landing that might have otherwise been. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen over the next sort of six months? Because everyone's got a, not everyone, but there are a lot of varying um, opinions out there in terms of more interest rate rises, whether, you know, there's a, some businesses we speak to have a sense of depression within the market, not personally, but in, in terms of how trading conditions are going to be over the next sort of six months and maybe it's six to 12 months. Do you have a, a an opinion that you're willing to share in terms of what you see happening over that, that six to 12 month period based on your your perspective 
Yeah, I mean, look, we've obviously had a period of, of a lot of stimulation. There's been a huge amount of money pumped into the world economy. There's been very low interest rate environment, and that created a, a huge amount of growth. So, you know, that has to that has to be tempered, and it is obviously, you know, interest rates have gone up, and and governments around the world are doing what they can do to control inflation and and slow that growth. So, look. I think in Australia, you know, I th- we seem, as I said, we seem to to be having a, a a reasonably softer landing than other places around the world. You know, I'd be a fool to suggest that I'd, I'd know exactly what's going to happen, but you know, I, I think that um, you know, certainly the the markets as as they're represented to date, it seems that you know we're, we're coming off to a relatively soft landing. Now, having said that, I certainly am uh, talking to clients about taking a very cautious approach to to anything that they're doing um, because, you know, it, it, COVID was obviously completely unprecedented. The, the reaction to it was unprecedented. So, therefore, the recovery from it has to be unprecedented. So, we just, we, we just don't know exactly how it's going to play out. We're, it hasn't played out yet. We're not back into completely normal um, trade parameters if that ever exists again. So we just you just got to be cautious, I think, and and people that are cautious and and but still you know take considered investments and 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 considered decisions. They're the ones that are running their businesses properly, and they're the ones that will will be okay. Those that sort of rush into things without properly uh, understanding the decisions that they're making, they're the ones that will come a buster. This may be a really silly question, but just in. <laughs> At what point do you can we say you think that we're in normal trading conditions? You, you, you say that you don't know if we can ever get there, but like, do you feel it's a period of twelve months of stability? Because we surely we have to get back to a point where we can say this is. Well, I think there'll be a new normal. You know, I, I think, I uh, yeah. Look, in, in in yeah, in twelve months' time, whatever those conditions are, they'll have to be considered as as unaffected by the you know the the years proceeding which will be what three years ago the COVID. Yeah. so i think you know whatever those conditions are that they're the conditions that we need to consider as the as the the current normal state and, and deal with it accordingly rather than sort of constantly um looking at what happened you know in particular post COVID to stimulate the economy and trying to work out well how, how do we come out of that mm. you know We'll be out of it in a format in twelve months or so, uh, and arguably we already are. So we, we, we've got to work out. Okay, well, so what what does that mean, and and how do you you know respond accordingly? I suppose you've got the added impact there of of potential or current or implemented gaming regulation, and then prospective gaming regulation implementation as well, which is going to be a factor that will impact what the new normal can look like and then also i mean there's factors like working from home there's been a fair bit in the in the in the uh, media recently even this week i saw quite a quite an interesting article from i think the head of robert walters talking about how hard it is to get people to take roles now when you're not offering and and i see this you know we do a lot of sort of head office based roles and and it's just always a factor which is going to have a probably a longer term impact on particularly cbd locations obviously in the pubs that operate within those environments so there's there's still obviously varying factors that are going to contribute for the foreseeable future with, with gaming i don't know what you're seeing there in terms of perhaps strategy shift but we work with quite a few groups that have a heavy gaming presence and we're seeing uh and have probably since a bit before covid and a bit before um i guess significant gaming reform was was slated uh with any real 
likelihood of it becoming reality, a move more towards a food and beverage driven strategy as opposed to just gaming? Is that something that you've been um, witnessing yourself? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For many years now, um, you know, you're even seeing some of the, the larger solely focused gaming groups doing it now. So, um, mm. and I think it's a smart thing to do. I mean, why would you not take advantage of multiple revenue streams in the circumstance where you can, um, you know, some might argue, oh, well, it has such a big impact on on gaming revenue. I, it, it has an impact, but, you know, the overall benefit it provides to an, an asset, I think it's just unquestionably the right thing to do to, to maximise the value of, of your asset. You know, obviously there's some venues where, you know, they don't, have, they don't have the footprint, they don't have the scale to be able to do it. Obviously they're outliers to that comment, but if you've got the the bandwidth within the asset, then why on earth would you not have multiple revenue streams? I mean, we've had Morgan Kelly to talk about, and this was obviously very relevant in the early days of COVID when businesses were, uh, you know, very unsure about what the financial future or, or the market from a consumer perspective would look like. If if there is someone listening to this who is in a perhaps a distressed state when it comes to how they're looking at their business um, from, a, from a financial perspective, what are the steps for them that you would encourage them to undertake in terms of either looking to shore up or understand where their business is at, you know, just obviously given the position that they're in? I guess, you know, whatever industry you're in or whatever business you're in, the first and foremost is, is get accurate information of which you can rely on and, and be honest with yourself about it. So all too often people don't want don't want to confront the, the difficult uh uh, scenarios that they might be facing and they put their head in the sand. They either don't look at information or or they don't get it because they don't want to know. And it's probably the worst thing you can do. So mm. step one is to is to make sure that you've got the right data to make the right decisions about what to do. There there is a lot you can do to work with, you know, corporations law to ensure that you you um you, you can uh, make decisions to continue to um, turn your business around. So, But you can't do that if you don't have the right info. So often people don't even know what the right information is because it's a lot more than just getting a P&L or, you know, getting a, a, a set of accounts at a point in time. Like you really need good forecasts that, you know, are underpinned by proper assumptions and uh, proper cash flows and, uh, you know, an accurately reflected balance sheet that is forecasted out and those sort of things. So one of the outcomes of COVID was that, you know, there, there is a lot more com competition in the market from a, from a capital perspective. So there are a lot of alternatives out there to get funding and, Again, if you if you've got the right information, you know that they, they really are willing to take more risk than what people might have been used to when they went and saw the big four banks, for example, which is you know all that a lot of people have ever dealt with. So they're used to sort of thinking, oh well, unless I hit these exact criteria, then I'm not going to get funding anyway. Um, that's not always the case. And if you deal with problems early and and you um, you know you're upfront and honest about the position you're in and how you're going to get out of it, there, there, there is often a lot of alternatives out there for people. Yeah, right. Well, it wasn't a layup question, but it sounds like they should probably just come and speak to you 
and uh, and figure it out. Yeah, we do a lot um, of that sort of work. I was actually I was, I was actually a, a liquidator in my former life. All <laughs> oh, right, no so, ins and outs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk to you about insurance and risk. It was actually quite a big topic and an interesting one raised at the Pub Leaders Summit a couple of months ago. I know you guys were quite well represented there, actually, but the topic of liability and even just the ability to get insurance for a number of operators, people who are... And it actually was um, featured heavily in the in the uh, panel discussion around entertainment and, and large-scale events because um, some, some businesses noted that it was actually impossible for them or prohibitive from a from a cost perspective to um to get insurance obviously it's a a pretty big part of your business what what are some of the trends that you're seeing around insurance and risk that would be uh noteworthy yeah so probably probably worthwhile just giving you a bit of history as to how our insurance business came to life you know we could see through our data that there was very unreconcilable differences between what some uh, premiums were paid by some groups versus versus others and i'll talk specifically to property insurance to start with and we'll move on to public liability but um, property property insurance you know is something that should be directly correlated to the risk profile of the property and they're they're pretty defined criteria yet we could see that the the premiums paid by some groups were very very different to others and the increases that were being incurred by some groups were very different to others for what were seemingly very similar risk profiles Hmm. so that led us to um think well how can we help solve that problem we, we we had a relationship with steadfast uh robert kelly the ceo and founder of steadfast there is someone i've known for a while and I went and talked to him and sort of said, well, how does this make sense? And because of the data that we had, we were able to work with Steadfast and and uh, establish our own mutual. So the way an insurance mutual works is that it is by invitation only, so you have to have a certain risk profile. And then uh, the, uh, the, the, the risk of the reinsurance that sits in, uh, behind that is assessed on those assets only, so they're not necessarily influenced by the the broader hospitality industry. Right. Um, and that that's been hugely successful. So we've seen, on average, insurance costs uh, for property come down by fifteen percent as a consequence of that. And that that's in an environment where insurance was going up, you know, twenty percent and probably a bit less uh, last year. But so it's been hugely successful. From a public liability perspective, we've seen pricing get to a point where something similar, it may not be a mutual, but something similar can be done um, to deal with it. And we're really working hard to come up with that solution because we understand what a, a, a horrific issue it is. I mean, the, um, you know, the, the, the price of liability prof, uh, policies is, is, is enormous. Um, mm. and, you know, Without question, there there is significant risk attached to some venues, and you know you're going to have to pay to to cover that risk. But um, we we are seeing a I suppose a dislocation between the risk and the premium at this point, and we're really working hard to come up with a solution to to uh, help the industry uh, deal with it. From a practical sense for operators, and then some of these things I'm sure will be very obvious. But what can they do to limit? risk is it are there any sort of forms of advice you would give in terms of changing whether it's nature of the business or whatever it might be yeah absolutely again adopting uh 
uh, the use of technology helps. We have, we have a product called Star Compliance, and what that is is an incident reporting register, and you know it enables the download of, of videos, photos, etc. Um, it also has a task listing module to it. So, for example, you know if you can show insurers that you have task lists to ensure that um, you know uh, the risk of slip and trip is is mitigated. Um, if you can show them that you have an incident register which um, you know it downloads your your CCTV um, footage of, of a particular incident, so it's you know things are properly recorded. Mm. Um, that's going to significantly help. It also has a, an e-learning module on there, so if you can show insurers that you are properly training your staff to mitigate mitigate against particular risk, insurers listen. So, and th- this particular piece of our tech in our platform is something that the you know the, the insurers were presented specifically to them, and they've gone, "Wow, we we love that because it's for them it's all data. If for them assessing risk is a data driven process, so the more um, transparency you've got around those." Data, uh, you know that data the better for them and certainly the more process you've got around controlled process that you've got around mitigation of risk they, they very much welcome that as well yeah look uh there is a lot you can do but you've got to be proactive about it and you you know you've got to, you've got to really run your venues in in a, in a manner that uh does practically mitigate risk and there's as i said there is quite a lot you can do to to get that outcome Another key topic that uh, came up at the Pub Leaders Summit that I think pretty clearly across the room, just given the number of questions that we had to field on it, was just the use of data. There was a couple of, there was an entire, I guess, segment of the day devoted to it um, and technology, sorry, and and how the two interact and how you can use technology better to not only run a business from an operational sense, but also understand it from from um, from a data and a performance perspective. What are, what are the ways that you're either seeing businesses do that or, or, or using technology yourself to, um, to improve outcomes? So, look, tech is reasonably well uh, adopted in the hospitality industry. If you think about it, you know, there's a lot of point of sales out there. Um, you know, and venues tend to embrace the, the benefits of those. There's time and attendance and rostering platforms out there. There's accounting software out there. There's, you know, various other applications that are used uh, by venues one of the big challenges that our groups um, have had is 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 taking the data out of each one of those data collection points if you like which are you know they tend to be tech uh, applications but if you call them data collection points and then bringing them bringing it together so they can efficiently use it to get better outcomes in their business and it's it's not an easy thing to do because you know, getting systems talking and spitting out the right data at the right time into an environment where you can um, efficiently correlate it, forecast it, assess it historically, you know, that's not easy um, and requires a um, you know, certain tech infrastructure that, mm. um, you know, pub groups wouldn't typically have. I mean, it's, you know, it's expensive, it's you know, requires internal tech expertise, so on and so forth. So, again, a an area that we saw that we could help, and that's what we've done. So we've built a data warehouse where 
We uh, receive data for venues, you know, from all the relevant data points into into a data warehouse, and then we're able to report out of that warehouse in in you know any way that makes sense for them. You know, one example that I previously talked to was the sales line product. So comparing. Uh, you know, real-time sales to real-time wages and, and measuring wage costs in real-time. You know, another one, you know, now we're sort of looking at, whilst we, we've always done benchmarking, but very granular benchmarking, you know, down to the cost of a fork or whatever it might be, you know. So uh, a lot of venues are, you know, thinking about what they can do from a, from a loyalty perspective, you know, with their with their point of sale as well. So um, certainly, uh, you know, one of our significant values uh, value that we provide is is, is around rebates and under, really understanding your uh, supply side. So we, we're now, you know, every single month making sure that the uh, our rebate calculator, we have a, a calculator built in our platform, is tracking exactly to the contracts provided by, you know, the, the big suppliers, you know, that I need to make sure that they pay the right rebate, but it also enables the venue when um, renegotiation of the contract comes around to sit there with a data set to say, well, this is exactly what we bought and sold of, you know, a particular uh, product SKU. And, and so, you know, and he, here's our margin on this and, you know, here's how the rebate affected that. And, you know, so it really enables them to have very good negotiations around con contract renewal. So, yeah, look, I, I see that as something. And then, look, obviously, on top of all of that, you've got the opportunity for AI, which is becoming a, a huge influence on all business um, and will do a, in hospitality as well. So, But in order for AI to work, you need to have an organised set of data that, you know, is, is collected in a consistent manner so it can be analysed in a consistent way over over a period of time. And, and that's, you know, that there's more to it than just saying that. that that's that's a mm -hmm. relatively difficult thing to do, but something that, you know, we're, we're focused on and, and um, seeing some great benefits for, for our clients as well. Slightly tangential, but you mentioned loyalty systems or loyalty as a as a just as a part of a, a um a business's appetite to try and engage with customers i guess on a, on a more frequent manner how effectively do you find or how effective do you find loyalty to be loyalty to be in turn inside the operations that utilize it well that may sound sound like a very, very open open question right yeah because there's some businesses that really subscribe to the loyalty approach and there's others that, that just don't or kind of you know, yeah, half do it. Really effective for businesses that do it well. For businesses that do it well, and I think that's the that's the defining sentence. Mm. I mean, those that sort of properly invest in it and uh, properly uh, implement it, uh, you know, they don't get the benefits from it. It's, it's no different to anything else, I suppose. But um, those that are doing it well, we we see enormous benefit. Um, they they work they work their member member base very well and you know get a, get a huge return on it. But again, it's it, it's a significant uh, focus, significant investment that venues have to make. So they tend to be larger groups that are, are doing it well. Um, they're the ones that are um, you know probably can get the most benefit as well across you know um, multiple sites that they've got and operating. Are there characteristics to a well-run loyalty program that you would be able to reference, just so you can, I guess, people can? Uh, the POS providers uh, tend to provide the the framework to do it. In my view, when they're done properly, that's largely because it gives them the ability and motivation to directly link 
um, a customer transaction to a person. And that's really the key, isn't it? Understanding, you know, Luke, Luke went into a venue and he bought, you know, a Carlton draft at this period of time. Um, and then he went and bought a schnitzel. Like you get a pattern of behavior and then that enables you to, to make, you know, marketing decisions off the back of that or promotional decisions off the back of that or whatever they might be. So it starts with, it starts with that transactional data and understand and working out how you're going to efficiently get that match it to the customer and analyze it from there in terms of the ordering platforms i mean the hospitality obviously were, were the, the acceleration at which the industry adopted um at table ordering platforms for obvious reasons was pretty uh pretty rapid uh, what are you seeing in relation to their longevity or the continued sort of expansive use of those that technology within the industry? Do you have any insight and, and, and data as to, um, I guess, volume of tra- transactions that go through those platforms versus direct? And uh, has that shifted? If you do, has that shifted over the course of the last, say, 12 months? I think they're certainly they're here to stay. Uh, how a venue relies on them will vary depending on the venue's offer. It suits some some customers in, in, in you know that are looking for a certain uh, experience. It doesn't suit others, and I you know so venues are going to have to adjust how they utilise it to deliver their experience um, in in on a case by case basis. I think so, but I look. I think they've certainly got a place, um, and you know the, the success of them is is probably testament to that. I think it'll mm. probably the boil will come off a bit. But it probably already has. I think, um, but. Um, uh, yeah, I, look, I think they've certainly got a got a, a place in in the uh, in in the uh, you know in the in the in the industry, and um, I don't think they're going to disappear. Well, um, thank you very much for taking the time today. It's um, always good to get that sort of more empirical insight into the industry and, and, and hear about, you know, solutions that are adding a lot of value to businesses. But before I let you go, I have to ask you um, the final five questions that we ask every guest. So these are a bit more of a, a personal nature so we can get to know you a little bit more. But starting off with your favourite book that you've read recently or a podcast that you listen to, um, what would you call out there? I don't know that I've got a favourite book. I, a good book that I've very recently read is How the World Really Works, which is a, a very scientific analysis of you know a couple of the, I suppose, key things that are affecting the world at the moment, you know, right from climate change through to, you know, uh, a lot of the, the other political uh, destabilizations that are that are happening around um, the world. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, so I'd encourage people to have a look at that. Actually, it was, it was a very fact-based analysis of it all. Um, yeah, right. You know, sort of breaks down humans' uh, tendency to take one extreme or the other. Um, so... Yeah, it was it was interesting. Sounds like a nice light read. <laughs> you um, asked. <laughs> uh, yeah. In terms of uh, another personal one, favorite um, album or artist that you listen to? No, Elton John. Yeah, right. Okay, nice. Favorite drink right now? If you've got to pick any beverage when you're winding down this evening, what would that be? Schooner of Carlton Draft. 
simple pleasures. I like it. Uh, and uh, your favourite venue, if you go to any venue, restaurant, bar, cafe, whatever it might be, where would you go? Anywhere in the world. Oh, look, to be honest, I like variety, you know. So, you know, I love the difference between places all over the world. And I think that's the great thing about hospitality. It offers so much choice, you know. So there's fantastic places here in, in, in Australia and particularly in Sydney and Melbourne and um, but they're very different to going, you know, you're over in Europe or in the US as well. So, look, I tend to like to be, I suppose, outside and, you know, enjoying uh, enjoying the elements, wherever that might be, whether it be in the snow or, you know, on the beach, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I love a good beer garden. I'm not sure if that was a highly diplomatic answer given you've got 800 <laughs> clients that operate in the sector, but I'll let you off the hook. Uh, and finally, uh, who in the industry or really outside of the industry um, in, are you most inspired by? Oh, look, I'm most inspired by the owner-operators. You know, they they are great entrepreneurs. Um, they're the ones that have really driven the amazing hospitality offer that we've got. You know, they're... Uh, you know, the development of, of sites, you know, that I've seen has just been fantastic. Like, you know, what, what Memento Hospitality is doing out at Oran Park, for example, is just, it's just fantastic um, to see, you know, and there, there, there's others. I, I really enjoy watching the, those Greenfield sites come to life and um, see them trade so well. Um, mm. So, you know, the, the smaller, well, smaller, but um, mid-tiered market operators that, you know, take the risk and, create the value it's, it's great to see mate i actually was lucky to have lunch with marcello a couple of weeks ago and he was talking through that project out at oran park and it just oh, sounds it's it's absolutely insane so certainly gonna um bring a lot of excitement to the area that's for sure but um yeah, need a lot of people to fill it too <laughs> so yeah, we'll see right. how it goes it's a big menu um, they'll nail it. They always do. Um, mate, I appreciate your time uh, very much. Thank you for sharing your insight and your knowledge. And um, I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future soon for another update. Fantastic. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. No worries. Enjoy See your you, day. Mate. See you, Bye. mate. Thank you. Bye.